Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Backheel Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, we are diving into the USMNT's game coming up on Thursday against Trinidad and Tobago. What should you be watching for, and what big questions does Greg Berhalter face? We'll also chat about the next round of the MLS playoffs that are coming up, not this weekend, but the following. Lots to dig into on the MLS side of things right now. All that on today's show in just 10 minutes or less, because... Here at Backheeled, we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So let's get to it and talk soccer. All right, folks, we are diving into the United States men's national team's game against Trinidad and Tobago. It's the first of a two-leg series. The winner... Of these games, one on Thursday, that'll be in Austin, Texas, and one on Monday, that'll be in Trinidad and Tobago. The winner qualifies for the Copa America. So there are real stakes. There is very much something to play for for the United States. What should you be watching for? Well, one of the things you should be watching for is a near-dominant U.S. performance. The U.S. has had a lot of success against Trinidad and Tobago in recent meetings. Don't remember that one that happened in 2017 leading into the 2018 World Cup. A bunch has changed since then. Most of all, the U.S. has gotten so much better over the last six years or so. The United States should dominate this game. So that's one thing to watch for. How many chances are they creating? How are they creating those chances? Even within that bucket, I've got my eyes especially on how Gio Reyna and Falor and Balogun link up. Balogun will start as the number nine. Gio Reyna makes sense as the obvious prime playmaker, either as a number 10 or a nominal winger where he really just picks up the same spots in the half spaces anyway. That makes the most sense for Reyna in this game. How do those two continue to link up? They've talked about how much they like playing together. They're both absolutely elite attackers, certainly within the context of the U.S. pool and likely within a larger global context as well. How those players continue to bond and continue to improve on the field together is absolutely worth watching for. So how the U.S. creates chances and how those two in particular impact the game, that's worth keeping your eyes on. Now, something else I'm curious about, who fills in for Christian Pulisic and Tim Weah? Not necessarily in position or in like-for-like playing style, but who's next? Who's next on Berhalter's depth chart? I assume it's going to be Brendan Aronson, at least on one wing. Maybe it's Gio on the other with an extra midfielder in the middle, but how does Greg Berhalter adapt? This is interesting, right? It's not the highest quality opponent, but it does give Greg Berhalter an opportunity to maybe try out someone like Kevin Paredes, who's in this camp, or maybe to give Malik Tillman a start more in a central or half-space kind of area There's lots of opportunities here for Greg Berhalter to tweak and to change a couple of things and to figure out, okay, who can I go to? Who can help me break down a block? Who is up next in this pecking order? Like I said, I think it's going to be Brendan Aronson probably on one wing, at least defensively, and then he tucks into the half spaces and attack. And the same thing for Gio Reyna on the other side with someone like Malik Tillman or maybe even Luca De La Torre, which is a slightly less fun but entirely defensible option as well in that midfield area. That would be my best guess, but maybe... Berhalter pulls out a surprise. Maybe Paxson Aronson shows out in camp. Maybe Kevin Paredes shows out in camp or Malik Tillman is an option in that spot. There are questions there that really Berhalter hasn't had to face specifically with the wingers in Pulisic and Wea being unavailable together at the same time in a long time in terms of establishing that depth and looking to the future there. Luca Coliosho could end up being that player moving forward. I was on the Greg Berhalter press conference last week after this roster dropped. And he was asked, what's the latest on Luca Coliosho? Coliosho is currently with the Italian youth national team system, but he is eligible for the United States. Berhalter is apparently in consistent contact with Coliosho. 
that could answer a lot of these questions. He's not a game changer right now at the highest levels of the game, but he's getting minutes right now for Burnley in the Premier League, and he has had some impact for them. He seems like a logical choice to be next on the depth chart if he decides to play for the United States, but that's not where the U.S. is right now. They have other options to look towards. I'm curious about who that's going to be. The last thing I'm looking at for the U.S. really is exactly what the base of midfield looks like. Johnny Cardoso has to withdraw from this camp due to an ankle injury. Tyler Adams is still out with an injury. That, I would assume, leaves Yunus Musa as the number six. I want to see more of Musa in that role. We've seen bits and pieces of him there for Milan over in Serie A. We've seen bits and pieces of him there for the national team. He really struggled as the deepest midfielder against Germany. Not to break any news here for you, but Trinidad and Tobago are not Germany. This could be an opportunity to get Musa another rep to help him build comfort and consistency and get a better feel for what it's like to play in that number six role. We're looking forward towards 2026. It's not impossible that the U.S. could try to maximize their attacking talent on the field, leave Tyler Adams on the bench, at least to start, and go with Musa, McKenney, and Reyna in that midfield area. So giving Musa more looks in that part of the field feels valuable to me. I'm curious to see if Baralther's going to do that. I would bet that he will. Then the question, of course, shifts to how Eunice Musa actually performs. Okay, we'll tie a little bow on the national team chat there. We'll have more about these games against Trinidad and Tobago and more about the U.S. in general over on backheel.com in the coming days. Quickly, a look at the playoffs in Major League Soccer. We had two champions crowned in other domestic leagues over the weekend. Phoenix Rising, my hometown club, won the USL Championship final in Charleston on Sunday evening. And Gotham took down O.O. Reign on Saturday in San Diego to win their first NWSL title. MLS playoffs, though, are still ongoing. They'll resume after the international break. We have four matchups in the conference semifinals. Orlando City taking on Columbus. Cincinnati taking on Philadelphia. Houston taking on SKC. And Seattle taking on LAFC. I'm going to give you one reason that I'm excited about each of these games. Let's start with Orlando-Columbus. The biggest reason is that Columbus are awesome. They are must-see TV and MLS right now. Orlando City have talent as well, and I'm curious to see how Duncan McGuire continues to evolve for them as their rookie number nine. Columbus, though, and their aesthetic playing style under Wilfer Nance, that's reason enough to watch this game. Looking to the other Eastern Conference semi, it's Cincinnati taking on Philadelphia at home. That game will be in Cincinnati. I'm curious to see which of these teams withstands their adversity better. Cincinnati are going to be without Matt Miazga. They're already missing Nick Hagland in their back line. Aaron Bupenza now has gone and got himself suspended by Gabon as well and dropped from their national team. He's been dealing with disciplinary issues inside of FC Cincinnati as well. There are real issues there for Cincy. But then you look at Philly. Kai Wagner suspended for saying stuff to Bobby Wood that he absolutely should not have said. Jakob Lesnes is out injured. Maybe Carranza will miss this game. Oh, I missed, excuse me, I missed uh, Obino Nuoboto for Cincinnati as well, who's been dealing with a knock. We don't know exactly what these two teams are going to look like, and that presents opportunity for the Union as the away team. How these two squads deal with that adversity and who deals with it better could ultimately decide this game. Looking at Houston SKC, this is another fun aesthetic matchup. The Dynamo are playing at home. They've liked to use the ball at home this season under Ben Olsen. They'll go to that 3-2-5 possession shape and move Franco Escobar as that pivot as the left side on the back line. He'll shift into that left center back spot. And SKC, we know they like to keep the ball. So this could be a fun game filled with two imperfect but dangerous attacking teams. That's usually a pretty darn good recipe for a fun playoff game. Finally, looking at Seattle taking on LAFC. These two teams are the pride of the Western Conference in MLS. I'm sorry, St. Louis, you had a great year. You deserved to top the Western Conference. But Seattle and LAFC have pretty much been the top dogs in the West ever since LAFC first came into the league five years ago. 
There's game-changing talent on the field for both sides. Buonga will be the best player in this game, but Seattle have quality as well. They're playing at home. The atmosphere is going to be fantastic. These two teams both have legitimate MLS Cup aspirations, and only one of them is going to make it on to the Western Conference Final. All right, folks, that is it for this episode of the Backheel Show. If you're looking for more MLS coverage, go check out backheel.com. We have a new recurring series covering the ins and outs of Major League Soccer over there. Again, that's up every single week over on backheel.com. Get ready for that. That'll drop tomorrow morning, first thing. Plenty of other good stuff over there as well. Check it out and subscribe. For now, we'll talk to you again real soon. Oh, 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 oh,